Today on Physically Spiritual, I have the joy of talking to Teresa Moll. We discuss slowing down, connecting to your community, and protecting yourself from the negative effects of social media to woke-proof your life. Welcome to Physically Spiritual. I've been amazed by how much wearing physically healthier has transformed my spiritual life. I'm captivated by discovering the truth about my body and how it reveals God. Physically Spiritual is my attempt to harmonize and share what I've discovered. I'm your host, Andrew Reinhardt. Teresa Mole was blessed to grow up in her ancestral home in the Allegheny Mountains of Pennsylvania. She received a degree in comparative literature from the University of Dallas. Teresa's writing has appeared in the New York Times, Baltimore Sun, Miami Herald, New York Post, and many other publications. Teresa is currently an assistant editor of The Spectator World, a policy advisor for education at the Heartland Institute, and a part-time editor of the Phillipsburg Journal, where her beloved terrier, Pitkin, has a weekly advice column. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I should have brought Pitkin on here. He's pretty wise. <laughs> yeah, well, if, you know, if, if he shows up, that's great. Just bring him on. We welcome pets and we welcome kids and everything else on the show. Okay. <laughs> so I know in my life it's true and for the people I've talked to, but so often the, the mission we find ourselves in, the Lord has brought us to through our story, through our life. And I was just curious, like, like what's the story of your life that brought you to this work you do today, which is really... My summary would be um, like an emphasis of traditional values. Um, it would be a, maybe a, a back to the land message, an emphasis on community. Um, so what what did the Lord do in your life to bring you to this? Yeah, well, as you said in my intro, I grew up in uh, central Pennsylvania and um, I was kind of restless in high school. I think like 90% of my class went to Penn State University, which is like 30 minutes from where I grew up. And I wanted to not repeat high school, I guess. So I decided to go to school in Texas. I had a couple siblings who went to University of Dallas, small liberal arts Catholic college. Um, and I had a great experience there. Um, I got to travel. I lived in Washington, D.C. for a while and decided, you know, I enjoyed that. It was kind of glamorous to be there in the big city where our laws are made and, and all that that fun stuff. But um, I grew weary of that pretty quickly and I moved out to Idaho. I love the Rocky Mountains, but then I basically got homesick and I moved back home. I was gonna hang out here for a couple months until I moved somewhere else, um, big and fancy and important, quote unquote, and that was about six years ago. <laughs> so I kind of became re-enchanted with small town life. I realized after living elsewhere how uh, how valuable community is. I learned to appreciate all those things I had growing up that I took for granted. And um, as wokeness has really infiltrated our lives and poisoned our society, um, I've been writing since I graduated college um, in various forms. And I, uh, I decided that, you know, I've, I've learned so much about uh, what it means to have those traditional values all around you. And um, I was looking for the reason why our society seems to be so angry and uh, so many people are isolated and alienated. And it just seems like a more hostile uh, culture than the one I grew up in. And certainly than we even saw like three years ago before COVID. And I wanted to offer a cure of, of sorts and um, some guidance to people so that they could experience the, the charms of country life that I have uh, been blessed to experience, even if you don't live physically in the country, you know, certain habits and traditions and activities that you can adopt in your day-to-day -day life to 
kind of thwart those evil forces that are are coming into our lives. So I guess I, a, a homecoming story would be how I got, got to write this yeah. book. Yeah. I, I'm curious about like that exodus and return of, you said that you, you didn't want to go to Penn state to repeat high school. Um, <laughs> but that's a small town, right? And you end up at the university of Dallas, like a metroplex city, mm-hmm. um, and went from there to DC, but then back into the small town. I'm curious about that movement of, of like getting away from something because, because there was something in the small town to get away from. Right. (laughs) But then there was also something to return to. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious about that, that dynamic of like, what was it specifically that you felt you needed to get away from? And then what did the city offer? But then there was a certain point where it seems like it lost, lost its charm or, (laughs) or had, had run its course in your life. Yeah, I think a part of it was just natural curiosity. You know, as a young person who grew up somewhere pretty small, I wanted to experience that city life. I was drawn to the excitement of the hustle and bustle and the feeling important, um, you know, around big, tall buildings and and people going places and doing things and uh, kind of the, the glamour of that, I guess. And I think the other part had to do with my ego. Um, I always felt that, you know, growing up in a small nothing town in the middle of nowhere was kind of beneath me and, you know, you don't do anything that matters here. You're not going to become famous or whatever, but the older I get, the more I realize that that's all, that's just nonsense. You know, that's, you can do as we just celebrated the feast of the little flower, St. Teresa, um, you know, you can do your, your little way, um, anywhere that you are. And, um, you know, I kind of, I guess, reprioritized um, my life. And the more I experience the little things and try to appreciate them, you know, I'm, I'm a long way from from really um, being as grateful as I should for all the beautiful things. And of course, you can have that in a big city, too. I just felt more connected and found it easier to make friends and actually to make a difference that you can see um, in a small town because you do see the same people so often and you can really have a more personal um, a close connection to them. Whereas in a city, you know, you see a million people, you never see the same person twice. Um, so yeah, I guess I just kind of like the scales fell from my eyes, so to speak. And, uh, and they were open to, to what, um, something that I never planned. I never planned on living where I live now. Um, but you have to keep your heart open and your, your soul. I can relate to that. I went, I grew up in a small town, maybe a small city, about 15,000 people. And then I went to the Ohio State University, which is like a city in and of itself with 50,000 students on the main campus. Uh, but then I felt the Lord calling me to seminary. And at that point, things were kind of out of my control, right? But so the bishop sent me to graduate school with St. Minard, Indiana, which has an equal population of monks and non-monks in the city limits. Uh, it's about 100 monks and 100 non-monks in the city, in the town, <laughs> village, really. Um, so there's this kind of return to the country in my life, too. Um, and, and with that, I would say, uh, there's a, a quiet that's deeper than not having noise. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is, I, I've experienced it like most profoundly. I think at like monasteries, you know, like Our Lady of the Angels Monastery in Gethsemane in Kentucky at St. Minred. But I think you get it anywhere out in these kind of rural areas or out in small towns that, um, people tend to be at peace. Uh, and, and, and that just sort of echoes in the environment. 
Um, so that was like the biggest thing that I noticed in my own kind of return to, to the small town. Um, you know, the University of Dallas, I think, is one of these covert Catholic schools. It's like you don't know it's Catholic from the name. It's like it could mm-hmm. be a state school. It could be nobody knows, but it's a very Catholic college. Um, and I'm just curious, like, where was your faith at play in this period of your life uh, from high school into college and into your career? Yeah, I grew up in a pretty devout, um, traditional, conservative Catholic family. So I'm a cradle Catholic. Um, And then I went to Catholic school from first through graduating high school. Um, And I wouldn't say that I, I had some very wonderful teachers there who really taught the faith. But, um, you know, you say you went to a Catholic school, that doesn't always mean that you had the most rigorous training as far as the faith goes. But I did have some wonderful teachers. Um, and my, my parents certainly did a wonderful job to instill the faith and, you know, reading the catechism and making sure we um, always went to mass and, and those sorts of things. So um, I guess that's another thing I kind of took for granted, though. Um, I perhaps was a little sheltered, so to speak, having been surrounded by, um, if not devout Catholics, at least people who had a sense of religion and, and respected my my faith. Um, and then, yeah, the University of Dallas is is a very, very Catholic place, and, and I would say my, my faith was certainly sh- uh, strengthened there. But then I was kind of fat out into the world <laughs> and going to the big city. And um, I, I guess I didn't, I didn't realize or I didn't appreciate how many agnostic and atheistic people there are in the world. And even people who say that they're Catholic. And um, I remember I had a coworker who wanted to go to some sporting event on a Sunday. And I was like, oh, but what about going to mass? And she said, oh, I'll just skip mass. and I'll confess it later. And I was like, what? <laughs> Explain on the breaks. And I was like, that people think that way. I was like, what? No, that's not, that's not okay. So I guess my faith was challenged whenever I got into the real world, quote unquote. Um, but um, I never, I never lost it. Thank God. You know, I've certainly had the same struggles that that everybody has with with their faith, but um, through the the blessings of the Holy Spirit and and those that foundation that I was able to have from my family and from my very loving, beautiful parents, um, I, I've been able to persevere. And um, the more I've seen of the world, the more I think that I've my faith has been strengthened because I see how true it is. And certainly in writing the book, um, it's like everywhere I looked in every scripture reading, I came upon just, uh, uh, you know, kind of reaffirmed my belief in, in what I wanted to write about in the book, because uh, I was just seeing so much of it as relevant. And I think, of course, that was also the Holy Spirit guiding me to these passages. But I was like, oh, yes, that's about wokeness. That's about wokeness, too. Like everywhere I turned, I could could see it. Um, So, yeah, now I I have a beautiful faith community here. Um, I I try to attend morning mass as much as I can. I've been trying to get better at praying the rosary. That's something I've struggled with. If you have any advice, it's just um, I... (laughs) I, I get distracted easily and um, just making the time to do that is something that I need to, to get better at. And I know that'll make a difference in my life. Every time I do, I just, I feel like my day is lightened and, and made easier. So, Yeah. My, my seat, my wife, Brittany is a rosary prayer and that's my secret is she gets me to pray the rosary a lot more than I would on my own. So 
That's my yeah, advice. Yeah, trying to, my mom lives up the road and she says the rosary every morning. And I'm like, can I join you? Like, can I tag team with you? Because if I don't have a prayer buddy, I, I just don't get it done. I don't know why. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in the same boat with you. Um, you, you said out in the real world, you know, that's one of those, the lies I think like you got out of the real world and into a fake world. And that was the world where people aren't connected. Don't go to church. Um, and like, the, so the, the book woke proof your life came out just a couple months ago recently. Um, uh, wonderful book. Uh, I recommend everyone. I'll have it down in the show notes for people to, to link at Sophie Institute press or it was really, it was crisis publications, but that's, uh, uh, one of the, it's, the yeah, that's um, an imprint of, of Sophia. An imprint of, yep. of Sophia. So, um, so you can find that in the show notes. Um, and, and I, that dynamic I think is really important of like, what's really real. Cause like one of the elements you talk about in the book is I think how people spend so much life in this like digital space, this almost like false reality or now the metaverse is coming out obviously. So, <laughs> so we, we, uh, I think, at times people will spend more time or are more connected in this sort of digital space, this kind of quasi real space um, and not be connected with, with real people, having real relationships, having um, physical in-person contact with others. And this kind of woke ideology in our, in our society, I think lives in this false space, in this irreality of the digital world. Um, yeah, so just curious in your experience of like, um, like how did you come to that realization that one of the keys of protecting yourself from from this ideology is is limiting that exposure to the media and the new technologies? I would say part of it is just my personality. You know, I don't know if it's because I grew up in central Pennsylvania surrounded by Amish people or because I grew up in an old home that was built like, 200 and some years ago, but I kind of just naturally have an old soul, I would say. I don't, I'm not a fan of technology. I've never really been enchanted by it. Of course, I, I make use of technology and I even, I work from home and on a laptop and things like that. But if I could throw away my smartphone, I would be happy to do that. I just, I get so annoyed by emails and I had social media for a while. I've gotten rid of it and I just felt like a weight lifted from my shoulders. I just kind of, every time I would scroll through Instagram or Facebook or any of those things, I kind of felt like dirty almost or like just grumpy. Like uh, my my mood was manipulated by this, this artificial world and I didn't like that. So um so I got rid of it. And now when I see people using social media so much, of course, you can use all sorts of technology for good purposes to connect with, with a faith community, for instance, or to, you know, find resources and information, things like that. It's so long as we're obviously moderating ourselves and, and, and um, putting up those guardrails of making sure that we're using it properly. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, you don't have to reject it completely like I do. I just I just found it wasn't serving me. And then I see the way that it causes so much trouble in people's lives. You know, of course, there are good elements about it, but I think that it does more harm than good. And then you look at the scientific studies that come out about it, um, how it overuse of social media increases rates of stress, anxiety, depression, thoughts of suicide, what it does to teenagers, especially teenage girls, is um, particularly distressing and disheartening. Um, and 
you know, even your physical health, it's, it's linked with obesity, um, with wrinkles, like all these things. It just seems like so bad screen time. And what I found, I think what depressed me the most about when, if I spend too much time and I struggle with this too, um, that it distracts you from God and from creation and from one another. You know, I'm sure you've been to a restaurant and you see a couple or a family sitting around a table and they're all glued to their phones. They're not talking to each other. Um, you see people going for a hike in the woods and they're just taking selfies or like scrolling while they're walking. They're not looking at the beautiful leaves and the flowers or appreciating uh, creation. And that just makes me really depressed. I hate waste and I have this intense, um, feeling of how precious time is most most of the time I do anyway or I try to and just you know the, the clock is ticking we we're only given so many precious moments on this earth and if we're spending it scrolling on stuff that we're gonna forget about 10 seconds later and is only the only lasting impression that this so much of our screen time has is depression um, I don't know why we're doing that and it, it makes me sad. So I'm trying to sound the alarm to people and make sure that you're using your technology as a resource and not a recourse, not just a thing that you're using to spend time, waste time, um, but it's actually edifying you. Yeah. Well, that, that scroll, that image, that whatever, I think it gives you a little bit of a hit, right? Mm -hmm. A little bit of dopamine, a little bit of yeah. whatever. Yeah, it's and, like a drug, you know, and you yeah. have to keep taking the drug to, to keep that high up. And then you need more and more of it, which is why I think the average American spends like 40%, if not more, of our waking hours in front of a screen or of our lives, maybe. I forget. I have the stat in the book, but it's really scary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and and all these things, it's really powerful because it it presents the illusion of providing for a real need, right? We, mm -hmm. we need connection. We need people. We need relationship. We need to experience the light of somebody else's face and, and the, the affirmation of somebody else, that somebody likes us, that somebody wants us. Like these are deep, basic human needs that are in our heart. Mm -hmm. And the social media presents our senses as if that's happening, but it's not actually present to us. Right. right? So it's like, it's like an illusion, a mirage. Uh, mm -hmm. where you're, you know, I imagine like the person out in the desert and they, there's a mirage and they think they're dumping water in their mouth, but they're actually dumping sand in their mouth and they're just blind <laughs> yeah. to, mm -hmm. to what's actually happening. And, and I think that's so much of my own experience with it is there's something in me that like needs that. And as I take it in, it feels so momentarily good, but it actually then leaves me feeling worse on the other side. Mm -hmm. So then I can continue yeah. to it's go empty. back to it. Mm -hmm. It, it, it kind of like as opposed to satisfying, it creates a greater need for itself. Mm -hmm. um, and it becomes this like self-perpetuating loop, uh, really like a hellish experience of isolation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So I, I really, I connected with that, that element of what you wrote about and what you're saying, um, you know, cause we, I, we are vulnerable to our environment as humans. Like that's just mm -hmm. human nature. Like the, I think the idea of the, the lone ranger is it's a lie. Uh, you know, there's nobody unaffected by their environment. Like that, that time you were in DC around these people like that, that affected you whether or not you wanted it to, you can't close your heart off to the world around you. Mm -hmm. And, and this is why like the community we're with is so important because the people we're with are the people we're going to become like, we're going to become more like them. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and that, that social media world, um, makes us into a person who can't relate to the actual world we're, we're, we're around <laughs> it makes us incapable of reality of, mm -hmm. of being in, in truth. Um, 
yeah. And, and so I'm, I'm curious in your own life, as you return to the small town, as you sort of rediscover that element of yourself, like how did you find yourself change in that environment? Yeah, I certainly felt a tug on my heart um, to, to open it and to open my eyes and to make an active, very intentional effort to assimilate myself. You know, I did grow up in this town, but I went to a Catholic school that was like 30 minutes away and then to eighth grade. And then for high school, I went to a school that was even farther away, like 45 minutes. So I didn't spend a lot of time in my actual hometown and I didn't go to the public school here. So I didn't have, you know, a bunch of friends around the neighborhood that I already knew. So it was kind of like I was starting fresh a little bit in my own hometown. Um, I'm very fortunate that my parents live here. So I had that connection and um, I had a friend that I had worked with at a local restaurant while I was going to a college over the summer. Then I ran into her um, back at what well, I went to the local gym. And then so I reconnected with her and kind of slowly, I, it was almost as if uh, God was putting out um, like a little breadcrumbs, like the, like the fairy tale, just saying, you know, take this one step, like, okay, you made a new friend and then you, you made this connection. And, um, you know, I, I started to kind of open my eyes literally to like the, the nice old architecture in our downtown, you know, it's been a while, like so many older, older towns now, nowadays that have, um, seen their glory days are kind of behind them, but there's a, a really nice, community of younger people who are trying to build up our historic downtown and bring some shops and, and things, businesses back to that area. And I became a part of that. So um, I guess, yeah, as I said, you know, I kind of had this little tug to, uh, I was inspired to open my eyes and my mind and my heart, but then I had to make the effort, you know, it's not like the Hallmark movies, unfortunately, where you just move back to your your small hometown and you meet your old high school crush and you fall in love and get married and live happily ever after. There are challenges. There are, you know, running into the same people so often can be delightful, joyful. Um, but you also run into the annoying people or <laughs> the people that you might not get along with the eye to eye, but you have to learn to get along with them because you're going to see them a lot and you have to learn to work together. So yeah, I don't want to have um, your listeners take away that you're like, oh, yeah, I'll just move to a small town. It'll be magic. It'll be perfect little life. Um, I think I have so much more contentment and happiness and satisfaction living in a community with people that I know and love and trust than I did in the big city. Um, but again, you can find that in a big city if you make the effort, if you, um, you know, I encourage people to look at in their church communities first and foremost, where you have the same values as the people that you're attending church with um, and to kind of build from there if you need to. But yeah, just, uh, just realize that um, you have to, to be open to what the Holy Spirit is calling you to do and to, to seek joy. You know, I have that quote in the book, surround yourself, which is kind of a vague term that, <laughs> that we see, um, popping up in the world but there are studies you know as you said if you want to become a happier healthier holier person to surround yourself with like-minded people who also who want the same things that you do you know if you want to quit smoking um it it behooves you to hang out with a bunch of people who don't smoke and you'll be less likely to smoke same thing with eating healthily or exercising more if you hang out with a community of people who are doing those life-giving 
um, behaviors, then they're going to help you. And the same thing goes for your soul. You know, if you're striving to get to heaven, um, spending time <laughs> with people who want the same thing and want to help you do that is 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 uh, a good way to do it. And and the same, you know, the opposite is true. If you're hanging out in a place that's full of evil, I encourage people to try to get away from that if they can and to move and to ask Christ to guide you to where you should be living physically, if that's something that you uh, you feel called to. Yeah, I love that breadcrumbs image because it's the it's the little things, right? Like it's mm-hmm. the the accepting the invitation, it's the inviting somebody out to coffee, joining that group that's already there. You know, and some people hear the idea of building community, they think I oh, I, I gotta I gotta start the community. I have to kind of create this thing from the ground up, or sometimes I have to, like run for city council, or you know, we can oftentimes I think begin with one of the endpoints. Uh, Mm -hmm. but it's starting with what, like, what's the Lord presenting to you? Like, what are the opportunities? What are the doors that you're not walking through? Um, and, and with that, then, uh, like you said, a trust in the Holy spirit to guide the process. Mm -hmm. Um, cause oftentimes, like I know in my life, um, I have like an ideal and an idea of community in my head, but I know for me, my images, my dreams always need to be purified by like the Lord's work. Like I often think of like, if God had answered all of my prayers 20 years ago, how much worse my life would have been because mm-hmm. my dreams were too small and, and my heart was in an even worse condition than it is now, believe it or not. And, and so I didn't even know what to ask for, or I didn't even know what was really good for me. Um, so oftentimes the Lord leads us just to the next right thing, to that next baby step. And before we know it, by taking those next steps, we look back and we realize it's all different. Like our, something better than our dreams came true. <laughs> Uh, and that's the beauty of, of God's providence. Um, yeah, I think we I can really get caught, caught up in what we want our lives to look like or what mm. the vision we have it all planned out. And we kind of are trying to tell God what to do. And we're mm-hmm. trying to steer, you know, and we're like, yeah. nope, I'm going to do this. I'm going to live here. I'm going to marry this person. I'm going to have this job, whatever, whatever. And I think that's why a lot of people are unhappy. And it's not even so much what... Um, you know, we all tend to do that, and, and I'm certainly guilty of that too. But um, it's not even so much what the person wants, but what they think society is telling them they should want. You know, like, oh, you're the clock is ticking. You have to be at this level of your career by this time, or you need to follow the corporate route because that's what you do to be successful, quote unquote, in life. And that again goes back to the shallowness of you know social media, which is all about appearances. And so much of what people are striving to do is all about impressing their neighbors or getting to um, this level of their life because they think that's what you're supposed to do. But that's not necessarily what God wants us to do. You know, look, look at the path that St. Joseph took. You know, he was a humble carpenter. He was not, you know, climbing the ladder and, and doing all these fancy things. He was just doing what God asked him to do. And I'm sure he found a great happiness and contentment in that. And you just need to take it day by day because God's always throwing us surprises. He's always putting new people in our lives, presenting us with new challenges and opportunities and, and little goals that he wants us to accomplish. Yeah. Yeah. That putting new people in our lives that it, it strikes me that in the scripture, God p- creates humanity in the context of family and then redeems humanity through the family. So it was like, we're looking to re- redeem our lives or our communities. It's going to happen through structures of family. And one of I think the distinctions between like someone that's in your family and someone that's your friend is you don't choose your family members, you choose your friends. Um, so, so a renewal through family means that you love the people God gives you. 
<laughs> not necessarily the people that you want to be with or the people that, that uh, you have that vision in your head of the perfect community or whatever. Uh, but, but in the, the book, you talk about like joining different clubs and organizations and how a lot of these like organizations are really struggling for membership. And, you know, and a lot of Catholic churches, they have an old like Knights of Columbus council. And it's probably, you know, a handful of crusty old guys that have been there together who maybe aren't particularly well formed in their faith. Um, and as a young Catholic who might be on fire with their faith, like that might be the last place you think you should be. But, but likely the renewal of the community comes through the renewal of what's already there not tearing it down and building new. Um, so like where the Awakened Studios are in Bowling Green, Ohio, in the, the local parish, there's a group of, of young Catholic men who literally have kind of taken over the Knights of Columbus Council and have renewed the council, but then are also building a really dynamic community around the parish. Um, and it's a beautiful example of, of this, like exactly what you talked about in the book. Uh, so I'm curious, like, you talked about this downtown community organization. Like, how did this play out in your life of joining these clubs, these organizations, and becoming a part of the fabric of the town that you found yourself in? It's a funny, funny story, I guess. Um, as I said, you know, I wasn't planning to stay in my hometown after I moved back. I was working remotely at the time, and I could kind of live anywhere. And I was like, well, I'll go hang out with my parents for a couple months and then move on. And then I stayed for like six months and I was like, I'm too old to be living at home. Like I should get an apartment. So I went to downtown where um, a young guy was, um, is still fixing up some of the old buildings downtown. And I talked to him about running one of his apartments. And then through that, he was like, Hey, we're part of this revitalization corporation. You should join that. And I was kind of like, uh, my first instinct, which I think with a lot of people is like, you know, you kind of, your first instinct is to say no and push back and be like, oh, you know, I have too many commitments. I'm too busy or I don't want to do that. I want to go to meetings, whatever. But, you know, why not? Why do we have such hesitancy? Why are we so against joining clubs and, and volunteering and being part of things? And again, I think, you know, God puts people in your lives. He also puts, he inspires other people to ask you to do things, to give you opportunities to serve. And, um, so I, I said yes to that and I was like, okay, well, I guess I'll see what this is all about. I was hesitant. Um, and I started going to these meetings and, um, I'm very passionate about history and preservation. And we do have these beautiful buildings in my downtown as so many, uh, sweet older towns do. And, um, I was intrigued by that. And, you know, I took that first step. I volunteered at an event and I had a really nice time. I met some people, reconnected with people my family knew through that event. And then it kind of snowballed from there. And now I have this whole big group of friends and connections and I've become involved in other groups and, and things like that. And it just fills your life with so many layers of, of richness. It gives you, again, the opportunity to get to know people, to interact with them, to give someone a smile, to give them encouragement, to enjoy their company, to learn from them, to help them. And um, that's what that's what our life is all about. And it, it, it fills you with, with uh, you know, um, a sense of purpose and satisfaction. And I think if more people did that, even on just a very small level, how much more... Uh, fulfilling they would find life and how much more peaceful our society would be if we were all helping each other and hanging out and, and doing those sorts of things rather than uh, looking for ways that to call someone a homophobe or xenophobe or racist or discriminatory or all these things that we see being so prevalent in yeah. um, in the woke culture. So, 
Yeah. And, and being in a space where you can actually make a difference, you know, like, like you can change your town, like your involvement will have a concrete positive impact on those people's lives. And it just strikes me that this, um, that the, the woke culture and the kind of digital space that it thrives in, there's this kind of, um, mass collaboration that it relies on of like the boycott or the cancel canceling of somebody, uh, this sort of almost like religious sort of excommunication that happens, uh, (laughs) this mob mentality. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, and you really just become sort of an anonymous part of the mass Mm -hmm. that that's being sort of moved by these great waves and and the, the small town, community family involvement is the exact opposite you know like like there's probably people in that downtown organization that you don't agree with their political beliefs their religious beliefs whatever right but but since you know each other you can love each other and and in that relationship then you can actually do something positive for the world (laughs) you can collaborate in that space that's what i think is so beautiful when i i make this um Point when I, I talked to a guy in, in my book about um, the value of preserving older homes and how they were designed for um, spending time together, socializing, parlors, sitting rooms, things like that. And dining rooms are kind of like passe now. Um, front porches, we've moved from a front porch where you'd sit outside and talk to your neighbors as they walk by on the sidewalk to the back deck where we're all closed in. We have all big fences. We're just hanging out with each other. Um, now we have these open spaces open concept spaces that are more about, you know, like binging or whatever, um, than really sitting and and looking someone in the eye and conversing with them and engaging. And just um, these subtle kind of changes in in architecture and and the way cities were laid out, um, you know, used to have like a central park where you would go and again, socialize and and meet with people and and spend time together. And now um, we're more likely to have suburbs that are you know, connected by strip malls or things like that. Um, But (laughs) that's a little rant. Anyway, so (laughs) this guy that I I interview in the book, he, um, he started to fix up an older, older home that he bought with his wife. And he decided, you know, he was looking for artisans who could help uh, restore the stained glass in his home, or he was trying to look for a certain kind of wood trim or things like that to put back the charm of his older home. And um, he he assembled a, a list of these craftspeople so that other people who are looking to do the same thing for their older homes would um, would have an easy place to go and, and find these resources. And he talked about how going to these old home conventions, how people would be there from all different backgrounds. You know, there'd be lawyers there, there'd be plumbers, there'd be, you know, everyone, school teachers, whatever, people from all sorts of demographics, different beliefs, different political backgrounds. And there was not one word said about politics or religion or anything like that. They were there to talk about trim or 1920s doorknobs or things like that. And it's really beautiful how we can be connected again by creation, by these really neat things that are given to us. The same thing with, you know, join a golf, uh, golf club or, um, you know, I joined my local sportsman's club and yeah, we'll talk about politics now and then because the world of guns is, you know, has a, it's, it can get pretty political, but mostly we just talk about, you know, oh, how'd you shoot today? Oh, this is a beautiful day, you know, for, for whatever, how was your day at work? You know, what's new? And, 
and stuff like that. You're not talking about all the stuff that divides you. You're talking about what unites you and what interests you and what you have in common. And that's so important. And even if you do have differences with other people, once you've established that friendliness and that concern, you can civilly debate the differences that you have and you know that you care for each other. And that's the foundation of why you're debating it at all. It's not to get something from the other person. It's not to be mean to them or to put them down, which is what wokeness is about. It's about finding a reason to cancel and censor and control someone. It's because you sincerely care about them. You care about their perspective and you want them to get to heaven. And if that's what your relationship is based on, that's that's the point and that's beautiful. But we're not going to get to that point if we're just bickering and being angry and looking for reasons to hate each other. <laughs> I love what you said about the almost like the purpose of the space or the use of the space, you know, like the design of a home or the design of your town. Like is the point to bring people together to form community for people to flourish. And it just strikes me that so much of, uh, you know, what's happened in the last hundred years in architecture and urban planning, if you look at the teleology, the end, the purpose, so much of it, I think, is this money, right? How can we get the most homes in, get the most value? We look at these kind of between spaces of the suburbs, of the strip mall. They call them strodes. They're like not streets or roads. They're kind of these between, all these between things. Mm-hmm. being sort of between the city and the rural, being between the street and the road. And and what happens is these these spaces become kind of bad at everything other than making somebody money. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's very undefined. Uh, undefined. Kind of, kind of like our morality, yeah. Um, and a, another thing is that so much of it is like planned obsolescence. It's very much a mm-hmm. throwaway society. It's just about um, comfort and convenience, like getting somewhere that you can sleep, going to a restaurant to satisfy your appetites. Um, just, you know, is that the, is that the purpose of life or is there more to it than that? It seems like so much of our society and the, the, um, architectural planning that you just defined is just about getting to our, our hedonistic, um, desire, satisfying them as quickly and easily and efficiently as possible. And that's it. And making somebody rich. You know, I think about that with like Amazon Prime, like you can sit on your phone and click twice and then all of your needs arrive and needs, quote unquote, on your doorstep the next day. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to interact with anyone. You don't have to go outside. You don't have to make any effort. I'm like, is that really what our life is about? We can do better. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I've, I've been highly influenced by the um, new polity think tank out of Steubenville. Mm-hmm. They um, are taking a radical interpretation of Catholic social teaching based on the way that it was lived out in, uh, in Christendom in the middle ages and their interpretation of classical thought, um, and sort of trying to apply it to the modern context. And they're just right now finishing a series on, on good cities or redeeming the city. Um, you know, because we're presented with the vision of heaven as a city, a new Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and one of the points that they've brought out in the series is that the, the classic notion of polity or city, the, the rural space was considered part of the city, right? So there was sort of this dense core of the town where you'd have the arts and culture and the trade and the church and the, the sort of gathering space, but that was contained by some kind of wall or, or structure. Then you had the rural space. The, you had the, the place where there was the, the production of food and, and the majority of people lived. Um, but there was this understanding that it was all one civic thing the 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 kind of country space and the town space and we now have this um this kind of 
dichotomous relationship where they're, they're separated and oftentimes by this kind of urban sprawl of the suburbs or, or what have you, but there's no longer any, any, um, uh, any close relationship. And I think this is one of the, the potential values of a small town is you can still have this, this relationship preserved <laughs> where like your farmers are close enough for you to know them. Um, the, like there hasn't been this suburban sprawl of these between spaces that have just sort of planned obsolescence, like aren't headed anywhere, aren't created for flourishing. Um, and it's small enough that you can have a real impact. Um, yeah, so so that's been uh, one a thought that I've really appreciated and I would recommend to any of the listeners to check that out. I'll put it in the show notes. Um, but but I, I was just curious of your thoughts on on that idea of the, the redemption of the city. Yeah, I uh, make the case in the book. I have a little subchapter called Beware the Burbs. <laughs> so I advocate for tight-knit, close-living Either I would I prioritize or I, I emphasize how how wonderful small town and rural life is, but I would say either choose that or choose like a historic part of a of a city, um, because as as we spoke about even that I think is better than that vague urban sprawl because the thing about older parts of the city is that people did live in community. You do see the same people every day. You do have those front porches, you have those sidewalks, you tend to have those parks um, and a city center or a part of a neighborhood that um, is conducive to getting to know one another and help one another. And you're going to the same shops on your street, those sorts of things. Whereas the suburbs are really neither here nor there. Um, I cite a few studies and and, um, some analysis that some academic researchers did about people's attitudes who live in the suburbs, how they are looking for that space and kind of that small town community, but it's, it's almost like a place where you go to sleep and eat, and then you use the city as if it were your small town, so you rely on it for resources, but you're not a part of the city, so you go to the city to get stuff. And then you go to your, you know, half acre property with your back deck and you're all closed in with your privacy shrubs and then you don't have any interaction with your neighbor. I mean, of course, this is I'm painting with broad strokes here um, and you can have have your your backyard neighborhoods and your your friends that you interact with. But it just it's not as likely. And um, there's research showing that people who live in the country are more likely to call their neighbors their friends. Um, and that people who have access to green space um, and live rurally are um, are happier and healthier. I think another problem with um, not only the the suburbs but city life is that you know there's there's so much stimuli that we were not really designed to be able to handle, which is another reason I think that the um, the pings and the dings and the clicks and the this and the that from our, our phones that are just never ending, you know, the 24-hour news cycle, the alerts, the all those sorts of things. Like we're not, I know I personally, I think that's why I get so annoyed by my phone. Like I'm not able to handle that stuff. Like I have a little tiny human brain and, you know, I'm, I struggle enough with just, you know, day-to-day uh <laughs> chores and things and, and doing my duty. And then you have this whole, I refer to it as um, unforced stress. If you are familiar with tennis, you know that unforced errors are not when your opponent does anything. 
that uh, that's super tricky in the game of tennis, but that you just mess up yourself. And I think that so much of our life is stress, unnecessary stress that we're bringing upon ourselves to, to no end, to no purpose. Um, so I, yeah, if you're looking to move, I would encourage people to look to live somewhere that's less stressful, less fewer traffic jams, less you know rush hour, um, easier to park, those sorts of things. I know that it's done wonders for my own peace of mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that I love that idea that the kind of mismatch theory, like like I've heard it said, we have like Stone Age bodies still, but we, we don't live in that environment anymore. Mm-hmm. So it's like we've we've drastically changed our environment, but biologically emotionally we're not suited to the environment we're in mm-hmm. and so much of it comes to that i think teleology and the purpose what's the what's the purpose of all of that um and and there's an extractive relationship in both ways right the person in the suburbs is has an extractive relationship with the city and with the country um because they're both you know like consuming the goods of both places without contributing to either mm-hmm. um but then they're they're simultaneously they're being extracted from Right. So 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 they're seen as the real commodity, right? Their attention, their their money, their pocketbooks. Right. So so we're we're in this kind of tyrannical system of use <laughs> of extraction, uh, where we're we're kind of in the middle of it, both both the victim of it, but then also the perpetrator simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Um, and you mentioned moving, and I think that's a powerful idea. But the reality for a lot of people is they don't necessarily aren't able to move, right? Whether financially or family-wise or job or, or what have you. Um, but I love in each chapter of the book, you give a bunch of like practical suggestions. And a lot of it, um, there's some big things like moving, but then there's also like little things you can do. Um, you know, I think of like in my own space, we, we, we live in a suburban space. Um, it's not technically in the suburb, but it's still, it's kind of developed that way. Um, you know, so I've been trying to do little things like trying to grow some of my own food. Um, we have a lot of oak trees in the neighborhood. And, and I've discovered that there were whole groups of Native Americans who, who were able to forage and use acorns for food, right? And you just have to do certain things to process it to make it editable. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm surrounded by these trees that are dropping literally tons of food every year. <laughs> um, you know, so what can I forage from the space that God has given me? Um, and what, like, what are the baby steps? So I was just curious, like, what are some suggestions you have of like, okay, the person's not ready to move yet, but what are some baby steps they can do to start to shift into being uh, less of the sort of extractive use relationship with the world around them? Yeah, you can do so many simple things that kind of um, makes your city life or suburban life or wherever you live kind of imitate that that ideal that we're talking about, or whether it's... um you know, getting to know your neighbor, um, if a new person moves to town, you know, bake them a pie, make them a card, something like that, welcome them, introduce yourself, just kind of these old, old fashioned traditions that we've kind of lost along the way, whenever we've become so self-absorbed collectively, I would say, and certainly absorbed in an online world, you know, just try to be more real life, more in person, more, um, you might have to, I'm a little bit shy, but you know, put yourself out there. Think about if you were the new person who moved to town, or if you were the guy next door, don't, don't you want to know your neighbors? You know, wouldn't you, you welcome someone just shaking, shaking their hand and say, Hey, you know, um, I'm your neighbor and 
this is what I do, or just, you know, I noticed this tree limb was hanging over and, and you might want to get that taken care of, you know, just simple things where you're thinking of the other person as a neighbor, as somebody that you care for, think of them as, as a friend. And again, you know, the golden rule, think how you would want to be treated, um, maybe have a, a barbecue and invite them over or, or simple things like that, just these, these old fashioned traditions. And then I also encourage people, um, if you are maybe stuck somewhere that you're not not super satisfied with in a, an urban environment or, or somewhere that's just not inspiring to you, try to uh, to infuse your life with that kind of small town uh, attitude and mentality by visiting places like that. You know, chances are if you if you live in a city, there's probably a nice small town that you can go to. You know, maybe once a month or something like that, where you can go slow down and just uh, almost like a retreat, but you can you can take it to somewhere that's not uh, not necessarily you know a, a religious retreat, but just somewhere that reminds you what it's like to be part of a community. Maybe you can I encourage people to to make traditions with their families, with their kids. You know, maybe every time they uh, that you have a soccer game, you can stop at the same ice cream place and and get that tradition, get to know the people who work there, the family who owns it, or, or just you know sweet little simple things like that. It doesn't have to be big, major, all at once, all the time, but um, just just to uh, to um, infuse your life with, the, with those experiences. And then also to make your home, I write, um, a refuge for the world weary, yourself included. You know, I like to, uh, to have artwork and um, pieces of furniture and, and, and family heirlooms and things like that, books that remind me of, of a wholesome way of life, uh, of work that have inspired me and made me the person I am and, and um, fill my, my soul with warmth and joy just to have those sort of reminders around. So whenever you walk into your home, you're like, okay, there's a crazy woke world out there, but at least whenever I'm here, um, I'm reminded of Christ's love and of family and, you know, having pictures around things like that. And then to make it a place that people feel welcome and they are refreshed whenever they come into your home and, and have a meal there or just sit and chat with you over coffee or things like that to, to really open your home to other people who, who again, are like-minded and, and share the same values that you do. Um, don't, don't, again, be be shy or think, oh, nobody wants to come over. Nobody hangs out in person anymore. Well, maybe they don't, but they should. <laughs> yeah. And, and in all of this, there's something in the human heart that still cries out for it. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. So this is, this is the, the beauty of it is you're, you'll be an agent of transformation for the world around you. There's, there's a, a kingdom dynamic, right? We, in, in manifesting the kingdom of God, there's a way that we sort of bring back the garden a little bit. Right, that space in your home becomes that refuge, that place where people uh, can encounter something deeper. Uh, and, and that's the power of the, the gospel. Um, it's not meant to be locked away behind the walls somewhere of the church or in the ghetto or something like that, but the church is meant to transform everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and doing this will have that, that effect in some small way, you know, in some limited way before the second coming, but the Lord will work in that space. Uh, Teresa, thank you so much for coming on the show for your book. Uh, head down to the show notes, Sophia Institute Press, get woke proof your life. Uh, if you want to find any uh, of Teresa's other writings, anything she's up to, you can go to theamericanfrontporch.com and you can find anything we talked about today down in the show notes. Thanks again, Teresa, for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. I had a lovely time. Yeah. God bless. 
Thank you so much for listening to or watching Physically Spiritual. I'm so grateful for every moment you've given to this show. Please remember to subscribe, like, follow, and share the show. And if you want to support everything we're doing at Physically Spiritual or at Awaken Catholic, you can become a patron of the show at physicallyspiritual.com. To find anything I'm up to, head over to becominggift.com. God bless everyone.